The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So as part of this meditation session, I'd like to suggest that you sit here with with a sense of confidence. Sit here feeling strong. and to offer you an image that might help. If a fly lands on an ant, it's a big deal for the ant. If the same fly lands on an elephant, it's no deal at all for the elephant. As you are here in your meditation, can you be like an elephant? Elephant, somehow large, big. A sense of yourself as bigger than all the things that might happen to you. Not to dismiss them, but so that your self-image is not threatened by things. And if it helps to sit a little bit straighter with your spine. And perhaps a little bit more open in your chest. And in this place of confidence or strength, to feel yourself as if you are embodied in this place and time, unapologetically here, breathing in and out without any need to apologize for yourself or feel unworthy or that you're less than anything. Here. Breathing with a sense of dignity.
Sometimes it can be helpful to have the body express your confidence so that the mind with all its exceptions doesn't rule. Just to sit upright, let your body express a sense of your bigness, your dignity, And ever so gently with this dignity and bigness, see if you can relax some of the places of holding. Perhaps you can soften the belly. Soften around the shoulders. softening the muscles of the face. Perhaps softening into the rhythm of the body breathing. imagine, either through imagery or memory or your thoughts, a situation where you are relaxed and confident, feeling in some very simple way, maybe contented or happy. And that you go out into the world where there's other people, maybe not a lot, maybe a park and sunny day and you're passing people by. And that from you is a attitude or a disposition of goodwill, of warmth, of a simple friendliness or appreciation of the people around you. Nothing's required of you. No one's coming to ask you anything. But as you walk through the park or walk in the situation, you can feel within you a general attitude or thoughts of goodwill, feeling of maybe generous appreciation of the people around you. Or 
perhaps it's easier to feel that here and now for this room of people sitting with you. feelings in your body, any sensations or of warmth, of goodwill, associated with goodwill, maybe a glowing feeling in your heart or in your chest, or a feeling of openness in your face or also in your chest. What are the feelings within you, sensations within you that, that flow from you, that radiate or glow in the situation where there's a simple, relaxed, generous goodwill, generosity? not necessarily directed towards anybody in particular, even when you don't see anyone. There's a feeling of, maybe of expansiveness, expansive warmth. An attitude that seems to be too willing to receive anything or pervade anything. with goodwill or kindness or a sense of friend friendliness towards all things. If you feel any sensations, feelings within you of, that are connected to goodwill and open willingness of friendliness, maybe in your chest, heart, as you breathe, the rhythm of breathing, imagine that you're breathing in and out through that glow or that warmth or that those whatever sensations are associated with goodwill. Breathe through them, breathe with them.
as a pebble thrown into a pond makes circular waves, ripples that radiate out as you breathe. See if uh, the sense of goodwill can spread from you as ripples going out in all directions. And to end this sitting, you can take a few deep breaths and feel your body from the inside as you breathe in deeply. And then, <coughs> and then when you're ready, you can open your eyes. So welcome uh, to our Dharma practice day. And this will be the first of this year. And um, we'll have a series of uh, monthly Dharma practice days on the theme of the Brahma Viharas. I like to call them the Buddha's teachings on love. Though the word love, you know, as you know, is pretty broad or abstract or vague what it means. But uh, the word love, um, regardless for all the problems in using the word, I think for most people it still touches something in them, uh, something uh, tender and meaningful. That's maybe why we overuse the word. The, um, and uh, so the Brahma Viharas are very important part of Buddhism, early Buddhism teachings of the Buddha. And uh, 
there are four kinds of love, uh, Brahma-viharas, that uh, get stressed. There's that of uh, metta, which is usually translated into English as loving-kindness. There's karuna, usually translated as compassion. Uh, there's uh, mudita, usually translated as, as appreciative or sympathetic joy. And then upekka, which is equanimity. And um, in the course of this year, we'll explore these forms of love in this Dharma Practice Day format. And uh, we'll have, I think we have eight uh, meetings over the next nine, nine months or something. And, um, and the idea is to spend two sessions on each of the four. And the way to, I'm planning to spend, the, to divide up those two sessions, is in the, the first session would be to explore or kind of approach the, uh, the theme. Uh, so for today it would be the approach to the theme of loving-kindness. Uh, from, lovely from the perspective of how it's taught in the suttas, how the Buddha taught it. And then the second uh, session is, uh, so we'll do that in the month, in November, we'll explore uh, and practice the t- theme of loving-kindness from the perspective of uh, a thousand years after the Buddha, how uh, the practice of loving-kindness slowly evolved and developed into a kind of very formal, particular form of meditation practice. And that has become pop- been popular in Theravadan Buddhism ever since. Um, and so that technique that was developed over time will, will approach the second uh, month of the, these. And, uh, and, that, and the technique, how it developed, is often how it's taught in the modern West as well. It's kind of how it's come down to us. So we'll divide it up there, the Buddha, and then the later tradition, how it looks at these things. And um, so the Brahma Viharas, the word Brahma means, uh, uh, it refers to the uh, god of the Indian pantheon. Certain heavenly realm, he was the highest of the gods, kind of the ruler of the gods, I suppose. And, um, but uh, many people claim, scholars claim, that the word Brahma, because it's associated with this chief god, also means something like the highest or the most sublime. And so uh, when you use the word Brahma, it means, can refer both to this God, but also just something which is really high. And so some people will uh, translate it as divine into English, um, because uh, you say, you know, that something was divine, you meant it was pretty good, it was pretty high, right? And uh, you don't necessarily think it's mean necessarily was associated with gods when you use the word divine, but it was just really sublime or something. And uh, vihara means uh, a dwelling place, or to, to dwell, to, uh, to abide. And um, in fact, in, in India, the, there's a state in India called uh, Bihar. And Bihar is, uh, the original meaning of that was, v, the, the word V became a B over time. And so it means, vihara probably meant because it was a place, there was some, maybe a monastery or something. Monasteries are called viharas. So it was named, a place to... So uh, Brahma-viharas are the abodes of Brahma, the dwelling of Brahma, or the divine abodes, the divine dwellings. And, there's, so there's, uh, and so because Brahma, in his high heavenly state, uh, his state of being is characterized by love. 
by these four, by loving kindness, compassion, sympathetic joy, and equanimity. And in some of the, um, I don't know how much it's part of Indian mythology, but certainly some of the Buddhist statues of Brahma, that Brahma has uh, four faces. And one head with four faces, with four different directions. And uh, each face uh, is one of the Brahma Viharas, one of these forms of love. And depending on what the situation is down there below, <laughs> looking down from the heavens, um, he turns whatever face that's appropriate for the situation. Some situation that's, you know, loving kindness, some compassion, some sympathetic joy, some equanimity. So given that Brahma was one of the high gods of the Pantheon, chief gods, uh, there were a, 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 a caste, a group of people in ancient India, still today, called the Brahmins. And uh, it seems that sometimes these Brahmins are closely connected to Brahma. You know, they have a name that's similar. And uh, so the, uh, the Brahmins, uh, two Brahmins came to the Buddha because they had been having an argument. And the argument was uh, how you can attain union with Brahma how you can become one with God, you know, something like that. And so they're having a different opinion about this, and so they decided to go to the Buddha and ask him his opinion. And uh, he uh, then had this conversation with them, and uh, he said, well, in your group, your people, your priests, your Brahmins and stuff, um, do some of them, are some of them uh, greedy and jealous and caught up in lust and and they said, well, yeah, they said, some of them are. <laughs> and, um, and if they had, if they were caught up in those things, would they be in harmony with what it's like to be in the presence of Brahma or to be, come into contact with Brahma? Or, and they said, well, no, that's not in harmony. Brahma would not do that. Brahma would not be greedy and jealous and lustful and hateful and because Brahma is, that's, you know, the antithesis of what Brahma is about. And so... Um, he said, well, and Buddha then said, well, I'll teach you how to have union with Brahma. And then uh, they were pretty eager to hear that. So that's what they wanted. And so then um, the Buddha taught them um, the practice of loving kindness, the practice of sympathetic joy, of compassion and equanimity. And um, to develop that strongly and fully. Um, and he said, when, you, when these are strongly and fully developed in a person, then uh, you have union with Brahma. And I think that how we interpret this uh, ancient text is that what the Buddha is saying is that uh, when you are like Brahma, then you are kind of like one with Brahma. And usually interpretations of this text is that the Brahmins, they were looking to get see how they can re- be reborn in this heaven with the Brahma. There was union with Brahma was to kind of be reborn there. And, um, and the... Um, and the Buddha was saying, you, you know, wasn't really focusing on that part of the question. He was focusing on, if, you know, kind of, kind of maybe like Aikido, you know, kind of like he took their question and then turned it around in the way that, you know, what he wanted to emphasize in his religious tradition. Maybe he was a good politician, you know. <laughs> turned it around. And, he's, and so he kind of redefined the idea of oneness with Brahma. You become one when you're like Brahma. And you become like Brahma if you have these wonderful Brahma qualities. Um, so, um, um, so that's kind of part of the lore of Buddhism to have see it that way. Uh, in the teachings of the Buddha and down through the ages, 
uh, it's been held up in very high value uh, that uh, Buddhist practitioners would cultivate these uh, attitudes, these feelings, these emotions, these intentions. And, uh, and Buddha said something like, that his, for his monastic community, that, that community would last for a long time if people practiced uh, loving-kindness with each other, uh, both in um, deed, in, not, in deed, in speech, and in thought. And so the idea is that uh, these things, uh, Brahma, the Brahma-viharas, these divine abodes, are something that aren't just limited to an attitude or meditation practice, but they are something to be done with our bodies, our deeds, something to be done with our, our words and how we speak to people, and also uh, how we think or how what goes on in our minds and our hearts. And that uh, this is very important to consider because sometimes um, Buddhists try to have only an attitude of loving-kindness and leave it at that. But sometimes uh, to be interested in developing these qualities, uh, it really helps to act on them. And in the acting of it, it reinforces and strengthens some part of who we are. Um, so to live a life of goodwill, life of love, of generosity towards others is an important part of Buddhism. And it sets the stage for being able to meditate really well and deeply. It's a kind of a purification practice. It's kind of a clearing of the mind, clearing the heart. And as we'll go through and see this year, each of the Brahmi-viharas is an antidote for afflictions of the heart. So when you're afflicted in your heart by ill will, uh, loving-kindness is the antidote. When you're afflicted in your heart with uh, feelings of hostility, compassion is the antidote. When you're afflicted with jealousy, um, uh, sympathetic joy is is an antidote. And when you're afflicted with um, either um, distress or indifference, equanimity is considered to be an antidote. And um, and so, as we kind of work through these anti- work through these afflictions, it prepares the mind to be able to go into deeper and deeper meditation. There, in our in our mindfulness uh, tradition, uh, some people will think that mindfulness is a lot and is enough. Just practice mindfulness, and everything will take care of itself. And uh, here's a delightful, I thought, little. Um, it, uh, it's a little discourse that was done in verse, uh, kind of like in song or something, and um, and it's put in the in the voice of a of a tree spirit that was around at the time of the Buddha. The tree spirit came to see the Buddha, a yaksha, and um, and so the, the the tree spirits recited this verse. It was kind of like a debate or kind of thing, and the Buddha responded. So the yaksha says, things are always good for one who is mindful. The mindful one grows in happiness. Each day improves for one who is mindful. The mindful one is free from hate. So that's good, huh? (laughs) And the Buddha replied, things are always good for one who is mindful. The mindful one grows in happiness. Each day improves for one who is mindful. So he just agrees to the first three lines of the poem. But then the third one, remember the the fourth one was, uh, the mindful one is free from hate. So the Buddha here says, but the mindful one 
is not free from hate. The person who day and night delights in harmlessness and has loving kindness towards all beings is the one who has no hate for anyone. So there's a higher standard than just being mindful. And here, delighting in harmlessness and having goodwill or loving kindness for all beings is part of it. That's the one uh, who has no hate for anyone. And I've, I've seen in myself that uh, I've had, you know, little grudges with people, a little anger sometimes. And um, <clears throat> I've, been, you know, spent my adult life practicing letting go, learning how some you know, aspects of letting go. And um, so I've been angry with people and let go of the anger and uh, sometimes even congratulated myself look at the I did it (laughs) and um, but um, I ended up only being neutral and uh, I learned after a while that uh, this was not really letting go that if I was only neutral it would come back and bite me it was kind of more like a held position it's like oh you know more like a attitude, you know, and a policy of being neutral, a policy of having letting go of the anger, rather than really doing something deep. And I learned that <clears throat> if I'm going to let go in a healthy way, uh, I have to let go so thoroughly that I'm left with a certain kind of delight or joy. I mean, not dramatically, but certain lightening and you know, lightness in it. Yeah, that has to or kind of that has to be be there. And so here in this one, it talks about delighting in harmlessness. So if unless you can delight in harmlessness and non-violence. Uh, feel like that's nourishing and part of your thriving, part of what's great in the world. Probably you haven't gone, you know, probably hate or hostility hasn't really completely left you. And, uh, and then it's an affliction. It's a drag for you to have that. So, um, so then, you know, loving kindness is a practice for that. So, um, We'll take a break in a couple of minutes. I want to say a few minutes. I want to say a few things about these Dharma practice days for those of you who have never been to them. So it's a a, a day for practicing the Dharma uh, in a variety of different approaches. Um, In monasteries, uh, one of the really important ways in which people grow and develop in the practice is in community with others. They're sharing a community life and, uh, and they're talking to each other. So one of the great things is uh, the teacher of the monastery might give a Dharma talk and, um, and uh, regardless of if, if it's a good Dharma talk or a bad Dharma talk, it doesn't really matter. Um, maybe, but... Um, <laughs> The, um, but the, the, the practitioners are there living in the monastery and, and, um, and so after the talk their theme of the talk is you know, up and around and so they start talking about it. Oh, you know, that wasn't a particularly good talk but <laughs> you know, she was talking about loving kindness. You know, what is your experience with loving kindness and what have you discovered and what are you working with around it and, and uh, what are your challenges? What have you learned in your life about it? And, um, and it turns out that a lot of the learning in a monastery is not from the teacher, but is from the, uh, the conversations among people uh, in the monastery, practicing with it. And that those conversations are very important, and it's also a way of being reflected by others. Because sometimes uh, if um, uh, you can have 
all kinds of understandings, brilliant understandings in your mind, or whatever understandings, but unless you really heard yourself say it out loud and somehow had it reflected back from others, it has a very different life uh, in, your, in your heart, in your mind. Sometimes it doesn't, it's not really become real. Sometimes you haven't seen the shortcomings of it. You haven't taken it further with further reflections. So in the monastery, there's often a lot of this reflection from others. You speak, you hear other people, and you kind of see yourself and hear yourself in different ways. So one of the functions of these Dharma practice days is to replicate a little bit of that. So uh, to have a chance to be in, communi- in discussion with other people here who um, have, uh, you know, following, doing the same topic and, um, and hear yourself and hear others and, and explore and go further in the conversations. And we do that in a variety of ways. Sometimes it's a, we, I, I pair you up. Sometimes groups are three or four, or sometimes larger groups, depending on the exploration, the topic we're doing. And uh, sometimes it's with a question, sometimes it's just an open kind of topic to disc- explore. But it's kind of directed, and a little bit over the day, uh, the idea is I usually have some idea of a progression through the day. And so it kind of builds or builds on itself as we go along. Um, and then there might be some guided meditation, there might be some other uh, things that we do. I'll certainly do some teachings. And, um, and now you know it's okay whether the teachings are good or bad. Doesn't really, it doesn't really matter. Uh, it's, uh, I'll do the best I can, but I'm off the hook. <laughs> and, um, and you, you know, because you're, you'll, you, you're going to make it come rich when you, when you guys have a discussion. Uh, sometimes the conversations you'll have can feel pretty personal, and so that's part of the deal. There's some risk, you know. There has to be some risk in practicing Buddhism. If there's no risk, you know, don't, don't even bother. So there'll be some risk. I mean, sometimes it'll be kind of personal. And, but you, you can moderate yourself. You don't have to share anything or be part of anything you don't want to be part of. Uh, you can just opt out if you want and sit quietly or sit outside and come back. Whatever you want. We're relaxed here. Um, so with that as an introduction, and every day we'll have lunch uh, uh, with, you know, around 12, 12.30 for an hour. Uh, we're a chance to talk to each other, to socialize and continue the conversations or get to, get to know each other. And um, usually the breaks will be done that way too, you can talk. Though uh, some, occasionally, in order to, for the momentum of what's happening, we'll take the breaks in silence so that uh, it supports coming back and continuing what we're working on. So that's the idea. And um, so now, uh, before we take our break, I would like to hear from some of you what it was like to do that guided meditation we had. The, um, uh, first, it was the kind of guided meditative reflection or something about being confident in your sitting, being sitting here in a confident way. And um, what, would that, what, what that was like. And, you know, I did it because I think coming from a place of confidence creates a very different condition for um, having goodwill or friendliness or love for the world around you. And what was that like to then um, consider, uh, have this imagination or have this opening up of friendliness or goodwill um, from you and radiating it outwards? What was that like? Is that something you could do? And what did it feel like in the context of this morning meditation? So if some of you would like to jump in, break the ice, that would be great. It'd be nice to hear. It'd, uh, be relatively nice if you, maybe your comments wasn't too long because we hear a number of people in 10 minutes. And then as you use that mic, um, one of the reasons we use the mic is that uh, we record these things 
for other people to be able to hear what goes on, but also because some people here have hearing assistant devices. We have more of them out there in the cabinet if you need it. And those hearing assistant devices, um, that way those people can hear it as well if you use the mic. And when you use the mic, if you can uh, hold it more uh, horizontally rather than like this, because they're designed to, be, to speak into the top, not into the side. Good morning. Is it working? Yes. Okay. Uh, uh, self-confidence. Uh, I always had some trouble with it. When I was in my 40s, someone said to me, I made friends with someone then, and she said, you know, all my life I thought self-confidence is something everyone had, that it was natural. Then I met you, and I realized it's not. <laughs> and... Um, no, we're good friends, you know. And, but um, uh, I, what I liked about this is a sort of unobserved self-confidence. I think a lot of the problems with self-confidence have to do with maybe some sense of competition and losing or something like that, or in competition, self-confidence in relation to other people. Did anybody hear what I said? Did they care? You know. But the thing of just meditating, unobserved self-confidence, I thought that was sort of cool. I like that. So you were able to tap into it some. Yeah, yeah. I feel it. Great. Yeah. That's great. And, uh, and also, I was delighted by you talking. You're the first one to speak. You talk so clearly. So all these people here observing you. And, and, and you had a kind of smile in your eyes as you spoke. Uh, I think there was some confidence there. Yeah, yeah from but, time to time. But, but, my, but now my reflecting it on you probably just destroyed it. <laughs> Thank you. Well, and what was it like to do the, the goodwill thing on that basis? The goodwill. Uh, to be very honest, I think I was getting very sleepy during that part. Oh, okay. <laughs> Great. Okay. Someone else? Yes. Uh, first off, with the self-confidence, to start with sitting up tall and the feeling in your body, that was, was kind of natural and easy. But then I... I searched for times when I feel that way in my thoughts and where I am. So I went there, and it was good, but I'm not so sure it was real because it was identifying with the situation and how I, I am in that particular time and place. But the, the more interesting part for me was the ripples and having it go um, around me, 360. So when I was thinking about that, a lot of self-identification came up in my head because when you have to be just not forward but all around, for me it was, wow, I have a lot of resistance. And I noticed in my body where I was tight and also some thoughts that come up with compassion and loving kindness. Great. So, great. so part of the, the um, value of exploring loving-kindness, goodwill, the compassion, all these things, is in fact to discover where the resistance is, where, where it's difficult. And rather than being discouraged by that, uh, the, uh, the Buddhist attitude is be delighted. Wow, I got to see where I'm limited, where I'm held back. And, um, and it really helps to be more like, wow, great, rather than, oh, no. Yeah, and, and I realize what I identify with. It, which happens all day long that I don't notice. And mm-hmm. some of it's good, but um, some was in a little bit of more of a hindrance mm-hmm. to letting it all go, go yeah. out. Yeah. So, so, the, uh, so it's great to see it, and part of the practice is to work with that and slowly learn how to expand it out so that it's unencumbered.
Why don't you, you go first since it's near you, and then Bill will bring it over there. I had some sadness come up, and I think it's mostly the image you used of the elephant. Um, tomorrow's World Animal Day, and there's a march planned in San Francisco to support uh, um, elephants and rhinos. And um, I just had sadness, mm. so my meta was for the elephants. Because mm, there's so few elephants left. Yeah. So few people who are big in a good, healthy way. Not just elephants. Yes. I think I heard the same program on NPR this morning, <laughs> driving here, about the elephants. Yeah. Um, one of the things that's been happening in, in meditation for me is I always feel like I'm doing the wrong thing. This little voice keeps coming yeah. up. And so when you gave the guided meditation, it's like, oh, I can just drop that. Mm. <laughs> and it was uh, very relieving. Oh, and so what do you think about the guided meditation that helped you to drop the idea that you're doing it wrong? Um, Any sense of... Well, because it was... I mean, the timing was perfect. It was uh, the opposite direction. Uh, Instead of uh, having this voice uh, close me in Uh that says I'm doing the wrong thing, the energy goes out like this. Oh, so with the goodwill, the radiating it out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so it it completely... uh, Dissipated the other feeling, so it was it was a very good direction. Great, wonderful. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Maybe give it to Bill. Give it to Fiona. Let's hear what she said. Let's say. It's like this is like you know law school. We get called on. <laughs> wow. Um. I love the confidence. Uh-huh. That felt wonderful. And, and the elephant image, too, was amazing, expansive. Um, and uh, going to the... Talking about walking with that sense of openness, um, I, I felt really connected. I, I think uh, came to me as on retreat. That's when there's this... You know, you can be out walking and... Um, And the, and the sense that, I don't know I, I just resonated with. Sorry. I just resonated with it all. Uh-huh. And, this, and, and the sense of the radiating. The kind radiating, of? yes. That's uh, yeah. I think the one part that was uh, a little uh, harder for me was to uh, actually uh, locate a spot. Uh-huh. <laughs> it doesn't have to be a spot. Everyone. Has, so one of the nice things about this, um, I don't know how to say. One of the nice things about being a human being is that we all get to be ourselves. And we're, you know, we all get to be different. You don't have to be like into the... So, you, you know, some people will feel love one way, some people another way, some people... And I tried carefully to say some people will have images, some people thoughts, sometimes, if, you know, people have different ways of processing and thinking. So, so the, idea, the art of it is to find your own way rather than feeling you have to fit into some particular way. So you, you don't have to find a spot. So um, this idea of radiating uh, or glowing or pervading is, uh, seems to be uh, what, how the Buddha taught these Brahma-viharas. And um, uh, so it's not necessarily directed towards any particular person, 
but it's a capacity that doesn't necessarily even need an object, doesn't need a person or a being or an animal or anything to feel. It's just kind of, it's a a disposition or a propensity of how we are and uh, going into the world. And one of the nice things about this is that it it is meant to become unlimited. Uh, There's no boundaries to it. There's no, uh, it's not... uh, uh, you know, this idea of 360 degrees is kind of an apt description. It just goes out in all directions to all beings equally. Uh, whereas many people feel that love needs to be directed and you have to think of someone or something or some being and you do it in a particular direction to that thing because that person elicits or evokes uh, love in you and it's the responsibility of that person to get you to love mm-hmm. because they have to be a certain way. But, but actually this is, this, uh, the idea is to have this kind of before you even see someone. It's just a way of being. Um, and that one of the alternative uh, names for these Brahma-viharas is the unlimitable, so the boundless, the boundless states, because they have no limits, no boundaries no, to them. They're, they have no bounds. And so this quality of radiating, of, flow, of uh, glowing, is an important part of this uh, cultivation. So um, that's kind of our introduction uh, for now. I think now it's a good time to take a break. And uh, we'll take about, uh, let's start, start again in here at uh, 10 to 11, so a little bit less than 20 minutes. And, um, and if you have any questions, you're welcome to come and ask me. So thank you.